Hello there, you good-looking people. Welcome to The Strange and Deadly Show, brought to you by Gentleman's Grindhouse Records. On this show, we discuss films on the Section 3 list related to the video nasties. We pair up our films every fortnight based on a theme. You can find out more information about all of our podcasts over at gentlemansgrindhouserecords.com and subscribe on iTunes or via any podcatcher you might be using. We'll give you that information again and also tell you how you can get your feedback and comments over to us at the end of the show. Well, good golly, Miss Molly. Here we are again. My name is Chris Clayton, cheesy motherfucker that I am, and I'm joined by... This is Tom Elliott. There he is, my favourite co-host. Well, in fact, my only co-host I've ever had, actually. Mm, yes, that's right, but clearly the best one. Oh, thank you. Thanks very much. You're somewhere in the top five for me. That's totally fine, Tom. I'm not, the, you know, I'm a prideful man. I'll take whatever position I can get in life. Good man, good man. Uh, so, thank you very much, Tom, and... Uh, yeah, before we get into talking about this week's films, I'd just like to say that from this episode onwards, we're making some tweaks, mm-hmm. some changes to the structure of our shows. Well, I say structure, it's still the same structure, but we're just making, I suppose you could say we're slimming things down a little bit because we've been running quite long on the shows, we've been rambling quite a bit, and what we want to sort of do is get to the heart of the matter, get to the, to the hit you a bit harder, a bit faster, get to the sort of the point of the matter a bit quicker, really. We've not really been doing that we've been rambling quite a bit i think tom you cut out about 15 minutes of us talking about star wars <laughs> in the last episode i did yeah yeah and we've done a lot of superhero chat and stuff like that and it's and you know the banter's not going away but we are going to try and and cut this stuff down and, and get to the point a lot faster so having said that you know don't get nervous that we've missed anything out it's all on purpose we're just you know, cutting some things down, trying to give you a good quality show, but try to, to condense it down and uh, and make it something that's easy to listen to. It's something you're not getting bored of that's, you know, rambling. We're rambling on for two hours. So with that said, Tom, why don't you tell us about this week's show and the theme, please? I certainly will. Well, last time on The Strange and Deadly Show, I said it was going to be a sort of home invasion stroke rape revenge theme. And I'm very mindful that I've mentioned it before. When we put our double bills together, a lot of the time we hadn't seen the films, so mm. we'd look at the synopses and just sort of say, "Well, they look like they fit." And I, I think this is one of those times when there's certainly similarities. I'm not sure they're, they're the same thing, to be honest. I'm not sure I would put them in the rape revenge genre. There, there are elements of that to it. Um, but they are a bit different, but it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Um, I think maybe a better sort of title would be Men Are Shit, because yeah. e- even the good guys in these ones are, are horrible people. So, um, you know, um, but yes, yeah, sort of uh, home invasion stroke rape revenge, if you like. All right. Well, why don't you begin, Tom, with telling us about a film called Death Weekend? Okay, I will. It's Death Weekend, also known as The House by the Lake. It was released in 1976, written and directed by William Fruitt, starring Brenda Vaccaro as Diane. I'm going to be looking forward to your Brenda Vaccaro impression later on, Chris. Um, Don Stroud as Lep, Chuck Schumacher as Harry, amongst others. Harry and Diane are heading up to an isolated mansion for the weekend, Harry's a wealthy dentist with an expensive car, and he has designs on young model Diane, 
along the way, Diane fancies driving the vehicle, racing down the street and past a red car full of local troublemakers, led by the villainous Lep. They decide to give chase to the budding couple, shouting and swearing as they do so. Diane's nifty and quick driving helps them escape the group, the red car crashing off the road into a ditch. Satisfied that they've lost them, Harry and Diane head out to the mansion. Lep and his boys are far from done, feeling incensed that they were beaten. The group sets out to find the couple. They manage to track them down to the mansion and take them both hostage. So begins a night of pure craziness as the group, clearly deranged, terrorises the couple. Harry has hidden a gun in the house that he hopes to use to even the odds, but when it's later found by Lep, he meets a sad end. Diane is raped by Lep, who then gives her to the other boys for similar purposes. It seems there's little hope with only Diane remaining, yet she's surprisingly resourceful under pressure. Perhaps Lepiner's boys might come to regret this murderous night as Diane prepares to fight back. You know, you should have come in and sat down like I told you. Come on, sit <laughs> now, my car went through a wire fence. Hmm? Paint job is ruined. My suspension's all fucked up. I don't know what you're going to do about it. We'll pay for it. You want money? I'll be glad to pay for whatever damages you need. Look at Please, take it. It should cover any damages that might have happened to the car. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much. Hey, look at this. He's a for real doctor. Huh? That ain't much for a doctor. Yeah, but he's a, he's a dentist doctor. Hey, show me your teeth. What? Show me your teeth. Come on, Doc, now show him your teeth. All Come right. on. Okay. <laughs> hey, you got a nice mouth. You want to go in the bedroom? That's <laughs> <laughs> funny, aren't <laughs> You know, Stanley, I think that he thinks that you're too ugly. <laughs> hey, Doc, maybe you got, a, you know, like a spare set of false teeth around here, something for my friend Stanley, huh? No. No? <laughs> I mean, nobody should look like him, right, Doc? <laughs> hey, Doc, you think he's ugly? Hmm? <laughs> oh, no, no, I don't, I don't think he's ugly. Yeah, you see? He likes you, Stan. He likes you. Okay, Chris, Death Weekend, what do you think of this one? Well, first of all, you, you mentioned there when you were reading the synopsis, or just before you started, really, that you were looking forward to my impression of Diane. Yes. Uh, I don't remember what she sounds like, Tom. <laughs> I only watched it only watched it a few hours ago, so w- w- what am I missing here? Yeah, don't you remember her as Joey Tribbiani's mum in Friends? She ha- I don't. She has a very distinctive voice from the beginning. Um, when they're driving along in the car, and he and he's like, "Whoa, okay, you know, you know how to handle a car and that sort of thing." And she's like, "I used to go out with a driver. He taught me a lot about cars." <laughs> and she's got this very sort of monotone voice with this sort of Brooklyn type accent to it. So I thought you might pick up on that. Was she seriously Joey's mother? Yeah, in Friends. That's right. Wow, really? Yeah. I don't like friends, Tom, to be honest with you. So that's probably why I didn't know that. Uh, but my God, the, 
listen to this, folks. The accent work, Tom Eddie, <laughs> it's strong. It's strong. You, you've become notable for this for a reason, Tom. You've got a way with accents. But yes, so uh, this is this is an interesting one. I thought this was quite good. Hmm? I did. I thought it was a, a, a decent home invasion movie. Like you were saying at the, the sort of beginning of all this, the rape-revenge thing is certainly an element of it there. I think... I think with this film in particular, maybe the home invasion aspect of it is is stronger. Mm. Certainly, it's it's certainly not, you know, Day of the Woman um, or Last House on the. It, it's not quite as sort of the the. It sounds so strange to say it this way. The rapiness of it is not as sleazy as films like that. Mm. If that makes sense, it's really a very tiny part of it. Really, what this is is just a group of guys who are. A, they're just bad dudes, aren't they, really, Tom? At the end of the day, they're just bad guys looking for trouble. Yeah, definitely. And getting involved with this couple and, and all hell breaks loose. And we're going to go through that in detail. As a general overview of it, I was surprised at, at how it, well it holds up, really. How how well it put together it is. Uh, decently acted through most of it. I'm not sure if the woman who... It's funny because the woman who plays Diane, as you say, has, has obviously gone on to have a, a good acting career. I don't think she's particularly strong here. She's fine. Uh, but I think, you know, I sort of looked to, to uh, the guy who played Lep here, who is Don Stroud, I think is, is definitely the standout here for me. A lot of magnetism there. Good good face for the screen is what I always say when I see actors like him. Mm. But overall, uh, competent, competently done and, and enjoyable, I thought. I would agree with that. It's funny when, uh, I mean, we'll get to it later about what releases there are of this. But let's face it, anyone who's tried to get hold of it will probably realise that there isn't really any. Um, mm. And it seems to have slipped through the cracks. But I think uh, as a movie, it's it's really decent quality. And I, and I wonder why it has seemed to have been forgotten. Is it that it's just not nasty enough to, to have really stuck with people? Um, we'll talk about that, I guess. But I think it's very competently done. It's... Uh, there's some real tension in there at times. Mm. She she is a strong lead, I think, in in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of that is how she's written. She, you know, she isn't just some bimbo on the, you know, uh, is it Harry, the guy in it? And it's, uh, it's just really quite an enjoyable movie. Sags have been in the middle, I think. Um, yeah. Bit of a pacing issue there. And... Um, you know, is it rape revenge? I don't think so, but good movie and really pleasantly surprised by this one. Yeah, that's not to discredit her performance at all. I thought she got better as the film went on. She got, you know, as she was becoming a stronger character. I mean, we see early on that Diane is quite self-sufficient anyway. Uh, she's been taught to sort of handle herself to some degree. So we know that that we know there's some like you say, she's not a bimbo by any means. I think that's what Harry is expecting. Mm. We're going to get to all of that, but. But yeah, it's uh, interesting. It, interesting how some of these films, these little gems, for some reason just never really get discovered. And we, we've seen some of them, like Christmas Evil, for example, was very much something like that, where it ended up being discovered later on. And then, you know, cause people became big fans of it and they ended up restoring it and remastering it. And now we, you know, we've got Blu-ray releases and things of it. Will this, would it ever happen to this? I have to think at this point, perhaps no, really. It's sort of... I mean, we, we're spoiling it in a way, but it's not had an official DVD release. No, no. But I, I think that might be the issue. It's it's not as... 
it's not as violent or just plain nasty as something like Last House on the Left, or I think it's more similar to um, House at the Edge of the Park, is it? Is that the mm-hmm. Ruggiero Diodato one with, yes. with David Hess in it? I think the two of these are quite similar. Um, House on the Edge of the Park came out later, I think, um, but just seems to be a bit nastier, you know, um, which is probably why that one has survived, because I would I would actually prefer this movie over House on the Edge of the Park, and some people might be thinking, what? But I, I actually think it's a bit better. I think if this was cleaned up, because the version that we've seen and the version that most people will see is like a ripped from a VHS tape. Yeah. I think if this was cleaned up nicely and remastered and released on a on a DVD or even a Blu-ray, but the DVD package with special features, whatever you can whatever you can get really. Mm. I think that this would be viewed as a standout film in this if you want to call it a subgenre I suppose of horror, the home invasion movie or a subgenre of thriller perhaps. Mm. Um I think this would would fit quite comfortably in there and be better than some of them. I think it's because of the fact that it's it hasn't really, you know, survived in the memory as such, and it's been, you know, sort of languishing on VHS tape for so many years that people have kind of forgotten about it. But let, let's start the sort of the, the very beginning of the plot, Tom. We, we introduced to Harry and, and Diane here, and so the first question I have to ask really is: we get to know Harry a little bit as we go through it. What do you think of Harry? He's a piece of shit, isn't he? Basically, yeah. he he is a, you know, he's a bragging, blowhard, showboating misogynist all of these things you know he's the kind of guy who thinks money and uh, you know objects are everything which is fine you know no no one's got anything against someone being successful but it's how he thinks other people see him because of it you know he thinks this this girl's gonna fall at his feet just because he's got this nice piano and this nice house and she's just not that kind of girl i mean what do you think well, he's a dentist as well, Tom, the very worst kind of person <laughs> on earth. And I only say that because I've got to have a root canal in a couple of weeks. But yeah, it's a, it's a nasty, loathsome sort of fellow, I think, through through pretty much all of it, really. I mean, we find out, you know, quite early on when they get to the mansion, I'm, I'm sort of skipping ahead a little bit here, that he's got a perverted side to him. Yeah. Um, he's got these little windows in the mansion and he can open them up. And they're obviously, you know, they're they're only one-sided, so they can't see him on the other side. And he's taking pictures of women naked in the shower and everything, and they don't know anything about it. So clearly a pervert, clearly somebody who's extremely wealthy, has no real regard for anyone except himself, uh, thinks that his money speaks for speaks for him. All he wants to do is get Diane into bed. And to, to her absolute credit, she ain't going to fall for that. No. She sees through this guy... And we sort of know that fairly early on, and I really enjoyed that part of it. But let's talk about the, the, the group of guys led by Lep. I mean, they're just... They exist for nothing else than to cause trouble. That's right. It's it's a very 70s thing, isn't it? These kind of groups who are mm. just so manic and nasty and evil. Is evil the right word? I, I don't know. They're just chaotic, I suppose. You know what I mean? Yeah. They do whatever they want. And we, we've we seen it in quite a few films, to be honest. I mean, David Hess in uh, Last House on the Left and House at the Edge of the Park is one of the standout kind of guys of this type. And, yeah, we, we see him in quite a, a lot a lot of movies in the 70s. I mean, Death Wish as well. These gangs who will just do 
whatever they want and yeah. it it is quite it's quite scary in its own way you know because if if you were confronted with someone like this you to beat them you need to go to their level yeah and the sad thing is is that they really have no limits so they're people who have no they have no particular purpose or destination it seems like they're only real I suppose if they do have a purpose, it's just to cause trouble and to cause pain and misery to somebody. And there's not, and they they have no limits in achieving that. I suppose. And it, it's, I mean, these guys, Harry and Diane, they really weren't doing anything to warrant <laughs> what happens in this movie. You know, they're driving along basically, and they unfortunately wrong place, wrong time kind of situation. They happen to drive past these guys. And that's sort of it, really. It's kind of, des- there it is. There's your destiny, you know. It, it, and unfortunately, it just couldn't be helped. Uh, and from that point onwards, you know, they have this uh, this car chase. Quite a good car chase, I thought, as well. I mean, early on in this film, it, it ramps up quickly, doesn't it? It doesn't, like you say, it sags in the middle. But early on, I was sort of getting going here. It's, it's, it's you know, it's pumping up. We're ready for action. That's right. It does hit the ground running. And Diane, it, it also sows a few seeds for later on because we you know we find find out that uh, Diane is a bit of a gearhead you know she knows her way around a car she knows her way around an engine you know because she used to go out with a driver <laughs> and sorry and um so it's sowing these kind of seeds as well for for later on because the all these skills are going to come in handy but yeah good start and Unfortunately, you know, maybe she should have just let the guys pass by, as I think Harry said, because Harry was a bit of a bit of a coward, wasn't he? Um, yeah. But you know, maybe that would have been the right thing to do. I just got the feeling they never were going to let up on them. Mm. Like I say, I just think that once they'd found them, they'd found their victims, and they were just going to they were going to chase them until the end. Really, we've got to talk about Don Stroud as Lep. Because I think he's one of these sorts of guys that I that I like. Now, when I say I like, I don't mean that I like the things he's doing or that I condone any of his actions in this movie. I just mean that I, I think he's got a great f- face for the screen. And magnetism. Mm. Magnetism, I think. And charisma in his own way. An interesting villain, I would say. He is. He is. The, the other people in the group, less so. But they are just the sidekicks, I guess. But they are quite nasty as well the you know horrible looking fellas yeah i mean i thought they all had personalities that's the thing i mean not not personalities that are as well defined as as leps but i I thought they were all characters in their own way yeah they were all distinguishable from each other they weren't just like you know hoodlum number one hoodlum number two i think they, they were quite good in that regard but you're right lep definitely a definitely a standout definitely a leader in this thing a formidable opponent yeah, because he'll walk into a room and he'll kind of creep in slowly and there's that, that little smirk on his face. And it's it's what I like to see in a villainous performance, you know. Mm. I'm into the villains and and I think there's something sort of strangely alluring about the guy, even though he's a, he's a horrible sod in this, really. But like you say, can the word evil be applied to this? You know, are they necessarily... I mean, they could have come in and tortured and killed this couple very, very quickly... They certainly do. They certainly commit acts that are that I would say are quite heinous, but evil. I get. Well, I guess they are. I don't know, but it, it's not the first thing that comes to mind when when you see something like that. But I guess we should really catch up 
for anyone who isn't um who maybe hasn't seen the film because it's quite a tough one to get hold of basically harry and diane have driven out to this retreat harry they've only just met and harry is very much trying to get diane and diane into bed but she's like well i don't really know yeah you know let's you know at least get to know each other kind of thing she's she's not a pushover she's a she's a model but she's not a stereotype she's quite mm. a, a strong person and when she you know um doesn't fall for his advances harry is quite a weaselly person played very well i think um yeah he says right sling your hook then off you go and that's when the uh, the gang sort of invade the house after they've had this the showdown in the car kind of thing and that's where i guess the the second half of the movie begins isn't it yeah and that's where the meat of it is really is that these guys have taken over the house and they've confronted harry and it's an interesting thing because they never you know harry asks them a bunch of times you know what do you want mm. and you ne- you never really get an answer and that, that's what I find interesting. Is like, I always wonder, why exactly are they there? Because he offers them money. He's a wealthy guy, so he could have paid them off quite easily. He certainly could have paid for the car because that's a, something that, that uh, Let brings up, is that, look, this has cost us money because you ran our car off the road. So he offers him money. But that, that doesn't seem to be enough. It just seems to me like nothing would have been enough. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what makes them so scary, isn't it, you know? The, the, you just can't placate them. You can't say, well, we'll have this. You know, they even after um, Lep raped Diane, it, it's still not enough, you know. Mm. He, he needs to go on, and they just need to really wreck everything, I suppose. And, yeah, that's what makes them so scary, I think. And they certainly do that, Tom, because there's a scene in this movie where... <laughs> this entire group I don't think I've ever seen anybody smash up a house better than <laughs> this group I mean they they practically destroy that mansion they do they do I mean we're, we're at that sort of saggy midsection I think I mean what mm. what do you think of this because I thought it was paced quite well until the gang actually get to the house and we have a bit of initial confrontation which is fine but then it just seemed that they were just hanging around causing a bit more chaos, hanging around a bit more, causing a bit more. Do you know what I mean? It This is where it seemed to sag for me. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, I think they made a mistake, really, in showing the, the death of... There are two guys who Harry knows when he, he sort of pulls up there to get gas and gives these guys bottles of moonshine, I think it is. Mm. There's obviously two guys that... Because he must have been up to this mansion a bunch of times. I mean, it's his mansion, so uh, his getaway, getaway place, I suppose you would say. And... Uh, so he meets these two guys there and gives them the moonshine. Then later on, you know, they're up at the mansion. Lep and his boys come along and they meet these same two guys. And uh, they end up giving away, because they're both drunk as shit. Uh, they end up giving, you know, giving away the location of where Harry is. And of course, that's how the boys manage to find them. And then later on, there's this whole scene where they're on Harry's speedboat. Mm-hmm. And they're sort of driving it, and they end up killing these two guys, knocking them out of the boat and everything, and, and they end up drowning, I guess. I feel like that whole sequence could have been cut and you'd have lost nothing. Definitely, definitely. We didn't need to see that at all. No, because it really doesn't play into anything at all. You know, nobody finds their bodies or anything like that. It's just something that is it's totally wasteful. And I think, yeah, a little bit too much of, of the boys kind of mucking about. 
get to the, you know get to the heart of it but i think once they're they're in the mansion at night and they start kicking the shit out of the place and breaking you know breaking glass and smashing the piano with a mallet and breaking the fridge and everything i think it it revs up from that point onwards and i was i was invested again from there until the end really yeah yeah our main guy harry now we we spoke about him being a bit of a weasel you know he is certainly not a nice guy in a lot of ways but i mean what do you think about how he is when he progresses because there are moments when he, he is actually quite brave you know the guys are saying to him chase diane you know chase and if you catch her she's going to give you a blow job and we're going to watch yeah. and and that's all and he, he just you know he's obviously crapping himself at that point but he, he's like no i'm not chasing nobody you know and i think good for you you know at least you've You've kind of grown up here. Yeah, he he tries, doesn't he? Mm. I mean, he's not particularly. I always got the sense that if he really got a chance, he would probably take off because <laughs> he tries. He actually tries to take off later on in the movie when he's when he ends up being killed. He ends up running away. But it, it, to be fair, that he is trying to run away from somebody trying to shoot him. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, there's there is a little bit of bravery. There's a little bit of bravery there. Of course, it, it um, he's out. They're outnumbered. Both of them. So, and I think he punches. Is he? Does he punch Lep, or is it one of the other guys that he punches? I can't remember. I can't remember. It, it's it's one of them, and they all sort of, you know, they all start tackling him and punching him, and it gives. But he does say to Diane, you know, run, Diane, run. Gives her a chance to run away, and unfortunately, she doesn't make it very far. And this is when we get the rape scene with Lep, don't we? That's right. Yeah. I mean, we're we're on the record as it's not really our thing. It's very much a part of 70s exploitation films for for better or worse this one it, it was an interesting one really because lep is saying you know f- you know fight go on I, I like it when you fight kind of thing so diane just lays completely still and she ruins it for him doesn't she because he you know he likes the fight so she's like okay well i'm not going to give you a fight very interesting psychologically i thought mm. that scene and and the way that he completely kind of yeah, the sort of manic, angry rapist that he was—it changes a little bit. And he, and it's a funny thing because they don't make much of it, but he kind of lifts his hand up to her face to stroke it. And I don't know what he was doing there. Hmm. I don't know what had happened to him. But then she slaps him, and of course he becomes very angry again. So it's it's interesting. It's an interesting scene. I mean, look, I don't understand how watching rape could be anybody's thing. To be honest with you, um, I find it very harrowing. You just have to hope that when you see it in a movie. For me personally, I mean, sometimes it can add to the shock of a movie, but uh, this one, it's not particularly, in the same way that it's not particularly graphic in its violence, it's not particularly sleazy either. No. It's sort of, you know, there are, we've seen quite a few 70s films, 70s exploitation films, rape revenge films, that very much revel in the rape scene. I mean, the one in, I mean, if you take, for example, the one in I Spit on Your Grave, where it's drawn out for a long time. And it's shocking because of it. I mean, it's the reason why the film, as far as I know, is still not available uncut in the UK. This one, very quick and, you know, accented to some degree by by Diane just saying, OK, look, I'm just going to lay here, lay still. I'm not going to give you what you want. And, you know, it, it ruins it, like you say, for Lep. And we move on from it. So does it fit within the rape revenge thing? I think yes, but... Unlike a lot of films like that, a lot of similar films that use that as sort of the crux of of its plot, like I Spit on Your Grave, whether it's the original or the remake, I don't think this 
I don't think it revels in that very much at all. No, no. There's a piece of feedback later on where uh, Andrew Roberts, mm-hmm. um, where he says, I, I don't even think it needed to be in there at all. And I think there is an element of that. You know, it, it, it certainly takes things to another level. I'm not sure whether it's actually needed, but, but it's there. But, you know, your, your comparisons to I Spit on Your Grave, I think, are quite interesting because this is why I was wavering a bit as whether this is kind of rape revenge because there is usually a moment, and we sort of see it in the next film, but it's a bit different. There's usually a moment where the woman sort of picks herself up, dusts herself off, almost like Rambo tying on his headband, you know, and and becomes yeah. the angel of death kind of thing. Whereas this is a bit more realistic, you know, she's just fighting for her life rather than taking control, if you know what I mean. No, I absolutely agree. I, I think that this is, it, it, it sounds strange to say it, but it's almost a more respectful look hmm. at a situation like that. I mean, I, you know, I sort of agree with Andrew to a certain extent. I mean, I personally think that, I think suggestion can be really, really powerful. And Mm -hmm. I I don't necessarily think that you need to see an actress just being, you know, pretend raped on the floor to put that across. I think it's, you know, I've seen films where there's a suggestion of rape that's happened off screen, but based on the reactions of the actress, for example, that in itself is, is quite powerful. So I don't know if you necessarily need to see it. I think Andrew makes a good point that whether it needs to be in here or not, uh, but in any case, it happens, and and but we move on from it. You know, we we move on from it. And Diane is because she gets raped again, doesn't she? Later on, she does. Yeah, um, she has a bit more of a plan that time round, though. And and I think that's where the tables really turn, isn't it? That one, the the sort of little guy with the glasses who has a very perverted edge to him you know he makes her put on makeup and stuff and he's it's just horrible he looks like a sex offender um yeah and uh, when he starts she's got a piece of glass in her hand and that's when the tables turn well she's ready for it tom she's ready to take it to these bastards and i don't blame her at all we have to also say of course that by this point harry is dead mm-hmm. so there's an element of fear there isn't there that i'm alone now I don't have somebody else with me. I mean, Harry wasn't doing a lot anyway, but now I'm truly alone with these, you know, what is it, four madmen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to her credit, she's like, no, I'm not going to take this. And she stabs him in the in the neck with the old piece of glass. And from there, it sort of ignites the, the fast-paced stuff again. It's happening again. We're getting to to her revenge plan. And it's all very much on the fly. You know, she it's not like she's... You know, she's not Kevin McAllister from Home Alone. You know, she doesn't have uh, two hours to plan uh, a night of traps. You know, she's got to to improvise as quickly as possible. I can't believe I just compared Home Alone to a rape revenge movie. <laughs> Unbelievable. Nobody else will do that. That's why you should listen to The Strange and Deadly Show. We're unique people, Tom. That's right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and then she heads off to the cabin by the boat. And I think concocts this brilliant plan to burn one of them alive, Tom. Hmm. Good tense scene, this as well, I think. You know, someone, you know, they're looking for her. She's in there pouring the petrol around and then she she hides outside just waiting for him. Good bit of tension. Yeah, and a satisfying kill as well. Because by this point of the movie, you want to see these guys go. Definitely. And 
And yeah, and and you know, decent. Like we say, not graphically violent at all, really. But you, felt, I, I felt satisfied with what I was seeing. You know, I mean, I suppose if it was a film that had come out in sort of eighty one, eighty two, it might have been a bit gory. You know, because they would have taken some influence from Friday the Thirteenth or the slasher movement in general, and perhaps you know would have got a few exploding heads, things like that. <laughs> you know, which I believe that you know the, the last House on the Left remake, if I remember rightly, I think was was considerably gorier, or certainly a bit gorier than the original. And they were able to do some things like that, incorporate some of the sort of torture porn aspects of, I suppose, the modern horror film. But here, yeah, not too graphic. I can't remember now how the other guy dies. There's another guy, isn't there? Not not let, but um, there's another guy who sort of chases her through the fields. Doesn't he um, sink into that? Sort of into the bog. bog, yeah, yeah, that's right, and and <laughs> and I thought this was was especially interesting because she sort of bends down. This guy is sinking quickly, and he actually asks for her help, mm. and she pushes his head down under <laughs> the bog. And I thought, yeah, you go, girl, you go, girl, wonderful. And we get our final confrontation, don't we, Tom, with Lep? Yes, yes, and again, I like, I like the restraint here. You know, it would have been so easy for. Her. To show her, you know, hot wiring this car and jumping behind the wheel, but it, it's so desperate. You know, mm. Harry is dead in the car. She's sort of lay down on the front seats trying to hot wire this car uh, to get it going. And when she does, she's still getting shot at by lips. So she's keeping her head down. You know, it, it's not this moment of, right, here we go. And there's nothing wrong with that. I love that. Um, but it, in fitting with the more realistic tone, I think it it's just such a desperate fight, and she eventually is driving the car, and she does run him over. I think it's really well done. Yeah, it's not terribly contrived either, is it? I mean, I think one thing I like about Lep in this scene, if there's anything to like about him, is that he is cool as a cucumber. He's lost everybody. Mm. But he's still stepping up to her, cool as can be. He jumps on top of the car again, cool as can be. And I'm not saying he's cool because he's a good person. I'm saying he's he's his persona. He's not panicking at all. Mm. He's ice cold right to the very end. And he knows he's going to get run over at the end. He's prepared for it. Uh, very, very interesting conversation. And like we say, not contrived at all. Really, again, desperation, improvisation, do whatever, she, doing whatever she can to survive. And yeah, runs him over at the end and, and then, you know, sort of drives out to a little clearing there and gets out and is kind of sort of dazed by the whole experience as anyone would be. And that's where it ends. It does. There, there is a slight bit of oddness at the end with the, the sort of flashbacks to Lep, mm. which, which are almost in the vein of uh, someone remembering a loved one, you know. It, it, yeah. Slightly odd choice, I thought. I would see. I was wondering if that was her thinking about whether there was a sort of a vulnerability to Lep after he'd, you know, after he'd raped her and she she sort of stopped fighting. Whether I don't quite know. They never make it exactly clear what that means. Whether she's just thinking about this bad guy that she's killed and thinking, oh God, thank God he's dead, yeah. or whether there's actually a vulnerability to him that she saw that she's thinking about. I don't quite. It's not made clear, is it? No, no. I'd... I don't know, but um, it's just a moment, I suppose. But it, it ends quite abruptly. We don't really see anything else after that. Um, so that is uh, Death Weekend, I suppose. Yeah, and I thought it was good. I have to say, I thought it was competently made, well acted, uh, decently sort of suspenseful. Uh, it sags in a few places here and there, but for the most part, 
I think put together quite well and I'm I'm surprised that this has not had a proper release I'm going to tell you about it in a moment but it is I think deserving of one me too I've seen much worse films than this get really great treatment and I don't begrudge them that treatment because it's probably shit that I like but this is this is a solid little film I think very enjoyable in in a lot of ways and I would love to see it cleaned up because it looked very grey didn't it mm. the the copy we watched um which maybe it was filmed that way looking a bit grey but I don't know it didn't look great but what shone through was was what a decent movie it is so yeah really nice surprise this one yeah I think higher up on the list for us of all the films we've we've covered so far definitely definitely Okay, so how can people get hold of Death Weekend? <laughs> well, there doesn't appear to be an official DVD release of Death Weekend, Tom. Uh, several bootlegs exist on the internet, and they seem to offer VHS rips that vary in price. Uh, a website called Resurrected, now that's spelled R-E-Z or Z if you're in America and you pronounce it that way for some strange reason. R-E-Z-A-R-E-C-T-E-D, that's Resurrected, uh, at Resurrected.com. They appear to offer a whole selection of rare and obscure films on DVD-R, and they have Death Weekend priced at four ninety-nine. Now, I'm not saying that because we're sponsored by them or anything like that. I have no idea if this is a good place for you to buy films from or not. So, you know, I heed my warning. Is It seems like they're, you know, that what they're doing is basically selling VHS rips and really obscure things that you can't normally get on DVD and burning them to DVD-R. Uh, they may be very, very good. They may be unreliable i just don't know so i'm just saying it's there for 4.99 if you fancy owning a physical copy of it you can't find it anywhere else that's going to be one place where you can get it but you know again i'm i'm not i can't give you any advice as to whether to do it or not never used them no me neither never heard of them until now but um it's it's you know when a film like this doesn't get a release someone's going to jump on that and and sort of uh profit from it really aren't they yeah i mean i hope that that a good studio gets hold of it and does a remastered you know i mean you don't have to do a 4k restoration on it or anything just clean mm. it up a bit and put it on dvd and stick some sort of special feature on it and put the trailer on it if nothing else and and release it because i think i would buy this i would buy it too nice commentary from brenda vaccaro <laughs> <laughs> yeah i hope you're on that commentary with her and you can just make fun of her voice <laughs> until she punches you in the face right tom i need to tell you now i need to tell you about the second film in our double bill i have a burning desire to tell you about it do it right well it's a film called demented and mm -hmm. this was given to us by smodge who good is an awesome dude. Yep, good old Smodge. And he provided us with a copy of this. So thank you very much, Smodge. Really, really appreciate you helping us out with that. And I think he's going to help us out with another one in the future as well. Um, I won't say which in case he doesn't do it. But um, <laughs> thank you very much, Smodge. You, you helped us out of a you know out of a tricky situation there. So it's Demented, also known as Slay the Joker, really? which was a working title. Now, I'm, now, when I read this, I thought, is Batman in this? Because if Batman's in this, I'm giving it a 10 out of 10. Hmm. But no, unfortunately, Tom, it was not to be. It was released in 1980, directed by Arthur Jeffries, uh, written by Alex Rebar, who, uh, just for trivia fans, since we're not going to have a trivia section anymore, uh, for trivia fans, Alex Rebar is the lead star of The Incredible Melting Man. 
Right. You've ever heard of that movie? Uh, the movie stars Sally Young as Linda, Harry Reams as Matt, and Deborah Alter as Annie, amongst others. Harry Reams. So, Linda Rogers is tending to the stables near her house when she's attacked by four thugs. They corner her in an empty stable and proceed to rape her, one by one, before taking off and leaving her crumpled on the floor. We flash forward to Linda being driven home from the sanatorium by her husband Matt, having undergone therapy. While able to communicate and be positive, Linda still fears intimacy with Matt. Although he appears to be patient, we soon learn that Matt is actually having an affair with a woman named Carol and is using his job working as a doctor as an excuse to get away in the evening. At home, Linda frequently suffers delusions and is clearly traumatised by the horrific experience she went through. The ghosts come back to haunt her in the form of several masked men who enter the house and chase Linda around. Nobody quite seems to believe that what Linda is seeing is true. Annie, Linda's sister, visits in the hope of helping the situation, but Linda upsets and alienates her, and she leaves. Matt vanishes too, off to be with Carol. With Linda left alone, the masked men return, and one proceeds to rape Linda. And finally, at breaking point, Linda snaps and kills him with a machete. It seems that these masked men, who are in reality the local troublemaking kids playing a joke, are in for a night of murder and mayhem, as Linda loses her mind and seeks revenge for all the pain she suffered. Look, Annie, I, I really don't think this is the best time for a visit, you know? I mean, Matt's time is limited, and, and I am trying my best to put the pieces together, but I'd rather do it alone. You know, I mean, I don't think you should stay very long. You're my sister. I love you. I want to help you if I can. I know what you went through wasn't easy. I understand that. But you must understand oh, that it's not bad. It's just... I've been having recurring nightmares so real, so real, I, I, I'm frightened. Linda, you've got to be realistic about this. Yes, you were raped. Those men are paying for what they've done. And you've got to build your life from here. Do you remember when we were both kids? You were always my big sister, strong, independent. And when you and Matt got married, everyone thought that was just fantastic. You know, if I had a guy like Matt, I'd sure work out whatever it was. He's on your side. No, you don't understand. He's not always there. I'm alone, Annie. I'm all alone. All right, so Mr. Tom Elliott. Demented. What did you think of this one? This was a slog. <laughs> this was a real slog. Probably the worst one for a while. I mm. just... Oh boy, where to begin? I really don't know. Just scene upon scene of people sitting talking to each other for a long time. A female lead who was annoying as anything really <laughs> annoying terrible actor mm. really bad i i remember pausing it to go and get a drink or something and it was halfway through the movie and i felt like i'd sat there for about three hours and i was like oh my god i'm only halfway through this thing it was it was an ordeal for all the wrong reasons you know not because it was particularly brutal or anything like that it wasn't it had its moments I suppose but man this was difficult 
I really didn't like this one one bit. What about you? I mean, it's a load of old bollocks, isn't it, really? Yeah. I mean, what else can you say? It's funny, because it's only 90 minutes long, but it felt long. Hmm. It felt long. Sally Young, Tom, as Linda. I mean, I hate to say this as, as you know, because she's somebody who was a rape victim in this movie, but possibly the most annoying actor I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, really squeaky, shrieky, nails on a chalkboard voice. Um, and I, I think it, it improves in the second half only because her acting, which is she's the, the least naturalistic, most robotically earnest person I've ever seen, I think, um, in terms of acting. Um, and, and only improves because her acting catches up with the madness of her character. Hmm. Uh, it's still not good, but is somewhat serviceable just because the character that she ends up playing later on, it's the same woman, but um, who she turns into is so off the wall that it's kind of matches what she's been doing beforehand. But she is the major weak link in this, even as everybody else around her is decent. You know, I mean, Harry Reams, who plays Matt, Harry Reams is a porn actor. Oh, is he? Hence... Hence the name Harry Reeves. Ah. Uh, but he in this he goes under the name Bruce Gilchrist, I think it was, or Gilchurch, something like that. Uh, so obviously he used a pseudonym in this because he didn't want to be involved with it, I would imagine. Uh, it's not very good, is it, Tom? And it's really boring, and it goes on for far too long, even though it's only 90 minutes long. It feels long, and not a lot really happens until the last half an hour. And I think the last half an hour is the best bit of it, but it's the best bit of a really shit film. Yeah. <laughs> let's start from the beginning. This, oh, please. Let's start from uh, the beginning. This uh, this character, Linda, she's at her stables, tending to her horse. All of a sudden, four guys in masks. You know when someone puts a pair of tights over their head? Mm. Uh, they're, they're those kind of masks, aren't they? Um, burst in and raper again. Not pleasant. Never is. Probably the most harrowing scene in the movie, I'd say. Mm. And in his feedback later on, Chris Brown makes a very good comment that normally we know who the person is before the ordeal happens to them, but we don't really know who she is. So all we really get to know of her is this is this bonkers woman afterwards, don't you think? We never get to experience the good part of her personality because it's, like you say, she's raped right at the very beginning and then we're just left with somebody who's unfortunately very, very annoying. And even though throughout this movie they play with some of the aspects, the sort of interesting psychological aspects of the trauma that follows an experience like like having been raped, it's just not portrayed very well because the person who's doing it doesn't have the skills to do it. Uh, so, yeah, we, right from the beginning, it's, it's sort of, we know nothing about Linda, and then she's raped, and then when we next see her, she's, you know, she's at home and she's incredibly irritating. Yeah, and in a funny way... I have a slight amount of admiration for it in that it, it spends some time going into those sort of psychological effects. Like you said, you know, she comes out of a sanatorium and she's obviously very nervous and, you know, still struggling with getting back into day to day life. It's just done so incredibly poorly that any goodwill I have for it trying to do those things is gone because. 
she is it just incredibly annoying and she gets more and more so as as the film goes on that shrieking voice is just like nails down a, a chalkboard yeah it pierces the eardrums doesn't it mm. and i think i think a better actor would have handled this in, in a in a much finer way i think and i think that's the major problem with it because there is that aspect of it where her husband matt who's a sleaze bag really mm. It has this appearance of being really caring, but is actually all he wants to do is go off every evening and, and shag Carol, who's the girl he's having an affair with, who herself is a, a mildly interesting character because she's basically using the guy for his money. Mm. Uh, has no real issue. Is always asking him weird questions about, you know, well, how much did you make last year? You know, that sort of thing. Very, very superficial on her side of things. But Linda, it does play with the idea that some people seem to think that, and Matt is exactly the same way, seems to think that you can just get over rape. Hmm. And that's not the case. It's it's something that can haunt. I mean, this and this character as well was raped by four men. Being raped by one person is enough, you know, but that it, it's such a traumatic experience that it is going to play on you and it is going to haunt you. And that, So they play with those ideas, but it's just done poorly. I think that's that's the big issue I have with it is that it's just and it's drawn out and it's languid and the pace of it and it never it only ever speeds up a couple of times really only sort of really gets interesting in the last half an hour and it just is they couldn't have done it in in a in a worse way I think you're absolutely right just just long scenes of people sitting talking and talking and talking and talking because I think at its core, there's, there's quite an interesting thing that, if done better, might actually make a, a decent movie because she goes through this ordeal and early on she she starts, she sees one of her attackers in a mirror, doesn't she? Yeah. But it's not actually him. She's sort of hallucinating it um, because her attackers got put in jail. We never see that. We just find that out. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, they're in jail. Get over it. So she's incredibly paranoid. She doesn't like to be on her own, which is completely understandable. And then later on, when we see a couple of guys in her house and they actually say, no, we're just figments of your imagination, when in actuality they're not. They're real guys yeah. in her house. So there's an interesting thing there that we're, we're disbelieving her. And in the end, actually, it's true. There are guys in her house. So done better it could have been better i think they did quite a bad job of uh hiding the identities of the killer of the killers the uh the masked kids mm. because early on they show a scene of these a couple of these young guys who are outside like throwing a ball around and everything and they kind of you know they do the whole wolf whistling thing and all the rest of it that sort of vile thing that men seem to and it, it ha unfortunately happens in real life all the time it, yeah vile thing that men do when women walk past you know which i understand that uh, so they do that. So that we already kind of, I mean, I, I worked out pretty damn quickly that those were the guys that were doing it. So I don't know if I ever really had that that feeling, oh, well, maybe these maybe these guys are part of figments of our imagination as well. I always had it in my mind that it, those were the guys that were doing it. I See, I don't even think that they were that they were meant to be the great surprise in it. I think what I think what's meant to be the great surprise is what happens in the last half an hour. Mm -hmm. Uh but before we get there, I mean, let's talk a little bit about Matt, her mm. husband. What do you think of him as as a character in his subplot? Because I thought 
I thought they were going somewhere with that, but they don't really. It's sort of a subplot that I don't think really thinks adds anything to it. I don't either. Maybe it's just an excuse to get him out the house, you know, so this can happen later on. He, you know, he's he's cheating on his wife, so he, which isn't a nice thing to do. But in other ways, he is quite patient with her and stuff as well. And, you know, when he is there, he's actually quite attentive and tries to look after her and stuff like that. I just don't think there's any good writing at work here to mm. to really latch on to to say oh he's this kind of guy or this is going on he, he does a, he does the best he he can with with what he had and i guess he was uh just itching to get back to porn after this yeah he must have been but i will say this tom he's got a fine mustache uh it's been a while it's been a while. It has. It has been a while. And I'm sure he was a porn star. I'm sure that moustache, it swam in the torrid waters down south. <laughs> you know, know my meaning. Uh, many a time. But that's his only redeeming quality, really. Uh, beyond that, not particularly well fleshed out. Like you say, when he's with his wife, he sort of seems like he cares. But then when he's not, you get the impression that he doesn't care at all because he's just infatuated with Carol and wanting to have sex all the time. So it's almost as if they didn't know how to write any kind of dimension for the guy. So he just has two very distinct sides of his personality and they don't really mesh at all, Um, which is unfortunate. I mean... I mean, is there anything else you want to cover there, Tom? Well, shall we get to the final half an hour? Because the final half an hour, I've got to admit, the twist of this took me by surprise a little bit. Yeah, let's get to it, because all that really happens in the in the first bit is a lot of people talking anyway. Mm. Um, but yeah, she, she sort of snaps, doesn't she? These these kids break in and these masks, and she, she snaps and sort of becomes that angel of death that we spoke about before, but it's not through... Um, a build-up of, you know, like in I Spit on Your Grave, she's kind of like, right, I'm going to get my revenge. She summons her strength and she takes the power from them and Mm. gets her revenge, whereas she just sort of goes nuts, doesn't she? I think there are a few slasher elements that pop up in this one, Tom. Mm. You know, just a little bit of, of, a little bit of that creeping in. I think that it's interesting because I wasn't expecting this. I thought that she would be you know, she would obviously be this incredibly frightened person. These guys would break in. There'd be this home invasion, and then she would develop the strength to get rid of these guys, and somehow that would, you know, that would alter her in some way. But that doesn't happen at all. This one of these young kids comes in, and even though they're saying that they were, they're only playing a joke. This guy does. He is thrusting at her, mm-hmm. so presumably he's, you know, he's attempting to rape her, and she chops him in the neck with a machete. And then she starts to do something that I didn't expect, which is she sort of, she keeps sort of touching the wound and looking at the blood and laughing. And then she just becomes, like you, I think you described it in the best way, this sort of angel of death character who has truly lost her mind and has decided to confront all of these guys who, now all of these masked men, here's the part where I, I think it, it can be seen as a little bit brutal because... As we discover, these are quite young kids, aren't they, really? I mean, mm. they're not kid kids, but they are... You get the impression they're only in their teens, really. And she's dispatching of these guys. I mean, she does something to one guy, which I, I couldn't... Because we unfortunately we were watching on a copy that wasn't that great. I couldn't really see what she was doing there. But I think she gets a wire or something and chops this guy's balls off. I, I can't remember. I, I'm not sure. I only really remember the shotgun one. That well, mm. that one slipped my mind. The the ball chopping off. Yeah, the old balls came off, Tom. And, uh, <laughs> and but I couldn't quite see what she had that was was doing that. At first, I thought it was a knife or a wire or something. But 
Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember now. Yeah, I, I have no idea how she managed it, but yeah, that seemed to be what happened. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure how she did it because you know that would require accurate placement. <laughs> Somehow she managed to, she managed to do it, and she she does turn into this sort of. She loses her mind in such a way that any man could have crossed uh, her path at that point, and she would have blamed him. She really mm. is at this point where she's like, "You hurt me, you know. Stop hurting me." Even though these guys have. I don't think they're particularly nice kids, but they 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 were not the ones who raped her at the beginning of the movie. So it, it's a strange thing. I, I think it's about twenty minutes there where it's kind of it's kind of decent. Unfortunately, Tom, the guy you were talking about there with the shotgun death, yeah. they've got a scene where she ties up one of these kids and <laughs> sits down and eats dinner with him, <laughs> and uh, and she cooks this pepper steak. And this, it goes on for fucking ages. She just talks and talks and talks. And it was... I was losing the will to live, Tom. I was <laughs> I was beginning to hate the human race again. I completely agree. Does she cook the steak? I thought it was raw. She just gives him a piece of raw steak. Well, I might be wrong. <laughs> it seemed raw to yeah. me. Yeah. But he wasn't, you know, he wasn't, like, complaining that badly. But it, it seemed raw because she was having a hard time cutting it. Um Oh, but it it just, it just, did just go went on, forever, on, didn't it? She just kept talking about things. I just shut up. I mean, I would have invaded her house just to tell her to shut the fuck up, <laughs> and then I would have left like a responsible man. Hmm. But it it um it ruins the ending of it. I think. How can you ruin it though? It's such a terrible film, especially when the 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 summation of that is she pulls out the shotgun, shoots him, and it just seems to splat a bit of tomato sauce on him. <laughs> but these. <laughs> These aren't the guys who did it to her, you know? I mean, the the first one arguably raped her. The first one of these kids who broke in. So there's not that same sort of catharsis seeing the bad guys getting their just desserts, which is why I love revenge movies, you know? That's why you, you pay your money and see them. This These weren't the guys, you know? They were little arseholes for doing what they were doing. So it, it just doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I agree with you. It feels to me like they just wanted to give this woman an excuse to kill people, really, because I didn't really know they didn't really know how to do anything else with her. I think it's it's a damn shame we don't learn anything about these kids. I mean, we find out at the very end there that the plan had been concocted by this guy. I can't remember what his name was, but he was this guy who'd come who'd come around and been friendly to Linda in the past. Uh, apparently, it was his idea. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. It could have just been this one kid you know, uh, making up a story to try and get out of trouble somehow. But we don't learn anything about these kids at all. So like you say, when she kills them off, which she spends, you know, half <laughs> half an hour doing, you don't feel anything for them or for her, really, no. because she's just become this sort of insane person. I think um, unlike something like I Spit on Your Grave, where, like you say, there's preparation and there's a plan. It's like, okay, I'm going to take your power away, just like you said. Mm. You know, I'm going to be the one to exact revenge on you. You're going to you're going to regret the day that you ever mess with me. This, not so much. It's just a woman who has gone insane and is quite annoying and now is still annoying, but now is insane and annoying. Yeah. And I think that's pretty much the... And, of course, we'll talk about the way the film ends, Tom, because, of course, Matt's got to get his just desserts, doesn't he? He does. He... Um... He's gonna leave her, and he comes to the house. I think does he? Mm-hmm. And they have this conversation through a door or something. I can't remember, but he's like, uh, "I've got something to talk to you about." And she's like, "Oh, you're going to leave me, aren't you?" 
that's okay, you know. And he's like, yes. And she's like, okay. And then when he comes in, you you just see a sort of lunge for him, and then it it, it ends, and yeah. we all breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> yeah, and we feel happy that Demented is over and done with because this really is a very very poor effort indeed. And this this uh this actress here, uh, Sally Young, she was in another film that we we hated almost as much, <laughs> which is Home Sweet Home. Which is the film with the uh, with Jake Steinfeld? I think so. As as the killer, the gurning idiot killer, in it, and she played one of the characters in it. I can't quite remember. I mean, all, pretty much all the characters in that movie are incredibly unmemorable anyway. Uh, but she was one of the characters in, in that, and uh, acting career didn't take off really, Tom. No. And, uh, <laughs> you sound so surprised. <laughs> I, I, would, I would take, um, what was it called? Holly, uh, horror Honeymoon or something? What was it? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I, honeymoon Horror. Yeah, Honeymoon Horror. I would take that over this any day of the week. I don't remember it, her in it, though. I mean, in this one, they seem to be just making a lot out of the fact that she's quite a busty lady, quite well endowed, isn't she? Um, mm-hmm. And they, they show that every opportunity that they, they can. But I don't remember her in Honeymoon Horror. Not honeymoon horror. She was in Home Sweet Home. Home Sweet Home. Um, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I got a, I got a feeling that that she might have been the lady who was the main squeeze of the main guy in it. The guy mm. who ends up getting killed in the uh, gets beheaded by the hood. Oh, I think yeah, beheaded or a, crushed, crushed by the hood. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, it was probably the only scene we liked in it. Right? Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, so Sally Young. Not good, not good. And I think, and I think she's the biggest weakness, really. If you're going to hang a film on a particular character, you've got to be kind of decent. I will say the only highlight of this is that her, the actress who plays her sister, who comes in, which is Deborah Alter, uh, character by the name of Annie, plays her sister. It looks alarmingly like a young Kate Bush, hmm. and uh, I'm all right with that. So I've got a thing for Kate Bush. So I enjoyed that part of the movie the rest of it the last half hour like i say yeah increased increases in pace a little bit a little bit more interesting but man she totally killed it at the end there with that long scene of her sitting there eating dinner and talking utter bollocks it just was (laughs) i was ready to give up tom this is not a good one at all no no so how can people get hold of this one (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I would imagine, Tom, you'd have to be demented yourself hmm. uh, to even consider owning this. Having said that, Smodge had a copy of it, so, you know, let us not judge too strongly. Uh, demented has also never had an official DVD release. Thank God for that. I know. As with Death Weekend, the film has had various bootleg releases ripped from VHS copies and uh, Resurrected, once again it's R-E-Z-A-R-E-C-T-E-D, Resurrected has it priced at four ninety nine. so I'd imagine they have all these films there at the same price. Seemed like a good place to get obscure films on, but like I say, haven't used them, so don't know what how, how reliable they are, don't even know if they're still sending films out or not, you'd have to look into all that yourself, but if you, for some stupid reason you want this... It's there for five of your British pounds. Mm. Well, they should uh, sponsor us after this episode, I think, and maybe we can get a quote on on the front of one of the boxes. You know, we can put a quote on Demented. <laughs> I don't want that. I don't want to be associated with anybody to do with that movie, Tom. Okay, fair enough. 
Okay, so that's what we thought of these two. So now let's hear what you thought of these two and have a listen to some feedback. Hi guys, it's Andrew Roberts. Um, I managed to get hold of both Section 3 movies this week, so we'll start off with Death Weekend. Even though this woman says that she's interested in car chit-chat, she doesn't sound as if she is. And the stereotypical hicks already, not even five minutes into the film. And they can't drive either, and they're angry that a woman can drive better. So far, so typical of a rape and revenge movie. Nice location though with the house, it really befits the alternative title House by the Lake. And as if these dumb hicks actually spend time to track down this car, surely they've got better things to do. The men aren't faring very well in this movie, they're all misogynistic pricks. I've just recognised Harry from I Miss You Hugs and Kisses, which is one of the Section 2 video nasties. Either way, I can't tell if he's the bigger dick or the hicks are. And now that the home's invaded, clearly Harry's a coward, and Diane is actually quite a tough cookie. At this point, the hicks laughing, and the last house on the left style drunken gas attendants. They're more annoying than anything now, until thankfully one of them's dispatched by the hooligans. It's quite a tense scene when Diane is stalked by the main hoodlum, and the rape scene is pretty uncomfortable hearing her pleas. Eventually, the hicks decide to cause mass destruction in the house, and Harry goes for his gun, finally. Honestly, the dumbest move ever to lose the gun straight away, so he deserves to be shot, which he does. Diane's now alone, and looks to be raped again by an extremely picky and razor-happy goon, until the long-awaited revenge section kicks in with a throat slashing. A hooligan is incinerated using gasoline, and another is lured into a sinking bog. Only one dumb hick left when the day breaks. Resourceful Diane manages to hotwire a car, dodge the final hick's gunfire, and run him over, ending the ordeal. I have no idea what the whole flashback thing was at the end. It was one of those films that was made rather competently, and it didn't have as many funny bits as most genre films of that era seem to have. It was a little bit boring in places, but a solidly paced exploitation film regardless. Now on to our next film, Demented. Slightly over-the-top title, and why is there a jester in it? The film waltzes straight in with a woman being gang-raped in a barn, and the dialogue feels very stilted and rehearsed. Why is the gardener holding a handrake uh, for a potted plant, and, or holding it in the air for that matter? The actress who plays Linda I recognise from another Section 3 nasty, Home Sweet Home. And is this cheating husband the most gullible guy ever, paying the scumbag's rent and car insurance? Ugh. Amidst inappropriate period talk, Linda seems to be getting back to normal until scumbag homewrecker phones again, and the genre's trademark hooligans start causing trouble, at which point she starts to become the most screechy, whiny mess ever. It's quite unique in that this movie actually makes the audience intensely dislike a rape victim. And just how much sex does her husband need from this hustler? Linda's moaning about wanting to be alone, and then complaining that her husband is never home. You've got hell of a set of lungs, the doctor says. He's really understating, because that outburst at the table made me wince. Why, oh why, are the hooligans harassing her anyway? I mean, I'm kind of glad when she snaps and cleaves one of them in the neck. Actually, scratch that, because now she's developed hysterical giggling, which is way worse than the screeching, and it sort of explains the jester in the title logo. There's a sickening niceness to everything she's saying as she seduces another of the idiots by making him drink poisoned wine. Lady, you're definitely weird. I know. 
I actually facepalmed at this point. For having a good time, another yob has his tackle ripped off with wire, and another is cleaved in the head. So she ties the last one up, and pretty much rambles for ages before blowing him away with a shotgun. The cheating husband arrives, and Linda jumps at him, now clearly insane, and ending the movie. Not as competently made as Death Weekend, and not as good either. The revenge was a lot less satisfying and demented, and most of it was bloodless. I'm a bit of a gore hound, so naturally I was a bit disappointed. I can't wait to hear your guys' thoughts on them. Hi chaps, uh, Christopher Brown here. Um, I think with this... Uh, Arrow uh, box set that's come out in the last month or so uh, called The American Horror Project kind of hints that they're going to be looking more to release films of this type from this era um, you know, uh, from America so like um, some of the, the better grindhousey uh, films that will be movies that were coming out at that point I'm not sure if Death Weekend or indeed Demented would uh, would appear on that list of him being honest with you. It wouldn't certainly be something I'd be screaming for the high death treatment for. I didn't mind Death Weekend, to be honest. I think it's a reasonably well made film. Um, it's okay. It's quite, you know, it, it makes it quite tense. There's a lot of threat in it, which is well and what you need. Um, I did kind of think they were going to do more with um, the boyfriend character, or the potential boyfriend character, because, you know, he seems to be kind of a creep and there's like, a, there's hints and almost psycho elements and that he really knows the area. That doesn't really pay off at all, and uh, indeed his uh, materialism and his uh, pervy tendencies are more uh, just a catalyst to get the story moving along. Um, our uh, our final girl is fine, is grand, although that slow mo ending uh, was uh, toe curling in its uh, in its execution. If I'm being honest, as she flashbacks to the horrors that have happened as she gets out of the car, really poor. Um. It was okay, um, you know. It, it it betrays its kind of its, its very low budget um, uh, position, I think a bit. Um, with Demented, um, certainly for me that was the weaker of the two, um, mainly due to some kind of clunky writing decisions um, to release. Um, you know, I'm not saying that. I Spit in Your Grave is the best rape revenge thriller ever in the history of mankind, but at least it kind of lets you get to know the character for that huge chunk of film, which is uh, the notorious like 20 odd minutes in the middle of it. With this, um, you don't get to understand um, who um, Linda's character is about at all, who's played by Sally Young, and she plays her like, um, like she's, uh, well, we don't understand. You don't. We get no background from her, and then she's effectively uh, demented, as it were, all the way through. Um, increasingly so, to a point of just being just horrendous. Um, so she's not very sympathetic, and um, you know it doesn't really kind of have enough brutality or blood or, or viciousness in it to kind of um, carry it over the line in terms of you know. Either being, uh, you're not, you're not. It's not uncomfortable enough or shocking enough at the start, and you don't understand why it's going on. Um, to make any kind of catharsis from the um from the other second half, of the, well, the second half, the rest of the film, uh, which obviously ramps up to a great degree in the last half hour. 
Um, that's aside from all the dubious sexual politics that's in it, and there is a lot of that, and a very unsympathetic um, feel to it in truth of uh, of of that woman and, and of rape generally, um, and uh, it really kind of brings the film down generally. Anyway, uh, thanks very much. Uh, take care, and I hope to speak to you soon. Um, wondering what we've got next. To be honest with you, I'm hoping there's something there. Something a bit more, a bit more fun to watch, maybe. Take care. I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Hello, gentlemen. Just a few brief thoughts from me on this episode's double bill. Um, firstly, the demented. Well, tricky one for me is like yourselves. Not really a big fan of the rapey stuff and. This one was a bit strange, for on one hand it did seem to be trying to make a serious point about the aftermath of such terrible assaults, yet also trying to have its exploitation cake and eat it. On the whole, I think probably it was rather good that leading lady Sally Young is, shall we say, something of a limited thespian. Boy, if she'd been delivering an Oscar-worthy performance, this could have been a very, very upsetting movie. As it was, it was just a bit strange, somewhere between drama and exploitation. And I can't help thinking that the final revenge sequence just doesn't really get nasty enough for my liking. And while it is probably more realistic, I did feel it somewhat troubling that in the end, when she actually has her revenge, she's not actually fully in control or gaining any kind of catharsis or even violent redemption. She was still very much a broken woman. So, interesting movie, but probably not one I'll be going back to in a hurry. Death Weekend, on the other hand, felt like a exploitation movie based around the idea of exploiting an exploitation movie. It was clearly one of those movies that came in the wake of Last House on the Left, but this one didn't really want to go too nasty with it. And I can't decide if that was a good thing or a bad thing. For, on one hand, we got some very good action. I really enjoyed that opening car chase and the final car shenanigans where she runs over the head villain. However, unfortunately, in the middle, I think there's just far too much of the hoods just being, well, a little bit rowdy. Mind you, in fairness, I'd have to confess that I wasn't really taking Don Stroud's lep terribly seriously as my broken brain decided he looked a bit like a backwards Terry Nutkins, which did put a somewhat comedic cast to his various attempts at villainy. Overall, though, in a similar way to Demented, I felt this movie was a little overbalanced. There was too much of the villainy and not nearly enough of the revenge. But once again, while both weren't the greatest of films... They were certainly very interesting little scene films to finally sample. We've had an email from our friend Kristen, and she says, Hey Tom and Chris, it's Kristen, aka Kiki Wright on Twitter. I just wanted to thank you guys for the shout out and kind words on the last podcast. It's very much appreciated. You guys are aces and I'll fight anyone who says differently. I think that feedback on films you guys cover is better left to people who are good at it. 
by which I mean not me. But I did want to say one little thing about Death Weekend. Don Stroud, who plays the lead jerk in the movie, not Harry, the other jerk, played a similar character in an A-Team episode called A Nice Place to Visit. He was one of four brothers terrorising a small town. So I admit that I spent most of this movie waiting for the A-Team to come in and save the day, but with some better dialogue, because some of it was downright terrible. But I did enjoy the ending. I've been wanting something bad to happen to just about every male in the film, and I was pleased when it did. I didn't get a chance to see Demented, well you're lucky there, so I look forward to listening to the podcast to see if I missed out or was spared. Take it easy, and again, thanks for being awesome. Kristen. Hello to the chaps of the Strange and Deadly podcast. This is John Cottage. Uh, used to be Morrissey, now gone back to Cottage. Anyway, confusion over. Well, uh, first time, a bit of audio feedback. Uh, fed back a couple of times in the past about the show, but never actually about any of the films. And oh boy, did I pick a doozy. Death Weekend and Demented. Well... What can really be said? They're pretty diabolical, really, aren't they? Um, starting with Death Weekend, it's so desperately trying to be Sam Peckinpah's Straw Dogs, it's actually rather embarrassing. There is nothing redeeming about it whatsoever. If you look at the character of Harry, for example, Chuck Shimata's, uh character there, sleazy sleazy guy and I almost felt early on when he's taking pictures of uh, Brenda Vaccaro's character um, through the secret uh, sort of two way mirrors that actually when the gang came in it felt like there might be a little bit of a twist and actually this might be something that he set up um, the guys who run the old fashioned uh, petrol pump they all, they know what you know, Harry's like, and um, they always refer to him as the Doc, and, you know, he's going away from another one of his weekends. Um, and especially as when, I think it, um, Don Stroud's character, Jupp, is his name, when Jupp actually um, gets control of the shotgun, we don't actually see Harry die. And this kind of threw me a little bit. And was the only really interesting thing about the whole film, because I kept feeling that there was this twist that in fact actually never happens and um, it all kind of never really gets into second gear really really disappointed I, I wasn't expecting Straw Dogs and it's not really fair to compare um, an exploitation film with something of that higher quality albeit I still think Straw Dogs is a, an exploitation, uh, exploitation film anyway but everyone tries their best and I kind of actually like Don Strauss' performance in it it was the one kind of thing that I I would take away from it. He was kind of uh, wonderfully, quietly malevolent, if if that makes any sense to those who've seen the film. Um, Brenda Vaccaro's Brooklyn accent just driving me up the wall. Um, just didn't really help. She's fine in it, but the only thing to take away really is Don Stroud. But even he kind of slips into cliche many, many times over that film. So after Death Weekend, um, I thought, well, things might, in the sense of fun exploitation, get a little bit better with Demented. And it really, really didn't. 
This is even worse. This is horrible on every conceivable level. And not horrible in a good, gory, exploitation, grindhouse kind of way. It's just a stinker. The inevitable question comes in about the beginning rape scene, the gang rape scene. And yes, you would have to be a very strange person not to find it really uncomfortable. It is really, really uncomfortable. However, instead of it being a powerful rape-revenge thriller, it never again, just like Death Weekend in many regards, never really gets out of first gear. Sally Elise is just atrocious. You can see why she was hired. Um, she of Big Bosom. Um, completely talentless. She was also actually equally as annoying uh, I found in Home Sweet Home, which by the way, if you are to compare the two films purely because Sally Elise is in them both, I could quite happily sit through Home Sweet Home every day for a fortnight if it meant I never ever had to watch Demented again in my life. Bruce Gilchrist... Harry Reams, as uh, he may be known to other uh, fans of his work, if that's how it can be put. Well, he's he's just tawdry. I think he uh, he really kind of did his work using another part of his anatomy rather than his brain and his mouth. Um, again, just horrible. The whole thing at the end as well, when she finally flips, and the screaming and the cackling... It just felt like someone was just driving a pneumatic drill into my head. It was just horrendous. So if there was anything terrifying about Demented, it's at the end with Sally Elise and her grot bags cattle. Cackle, even. It was just absolutely horrendous. So, that's it. Short and sweet. Not positive at all. Trust me, I can be positive in reviews. I really pulled a short straw with this one. Um, all I can say is thanks again to the guys at Strange and Deadly, Chris and Tom. Keep going, lads. I'm sure I speak for everybody when I say we love the podcast. Keep going, and we always look forward to every episode. Take care, you guys. Bye-bye for now. an email from our good friend Amanda Reyes at Made for TV Mayhem. She says, Hi guys, the rape revenge genre has never really been of much interest to me, but I really enjoyed this double feature. I guess they were really home invasion films anyway, and those I do like very much. Although Demented had a lot of problems, it also had some merit, and I have to admit, Harry Reams is kind of cute. What Demented had going for it was the idea of it. I liked how this one tried to give a bit of insight to the real fears and trauma that a victim experiences after the fact. The portion where the boys show up for the first time and it's hinted at that she fantasised it all was really creepy, and I imagine a real thing for some, although it also plays on the negative female hysteria trope. It was also disturbing that they were so young, and although they seemed pretty sinister, wasn't that one guy straight up humping her, they still had this air of innocence that was unsettling. Unfortunately, the lead actress, who I remembered liking in Home Sweet Home, don't judge, had absolutely no business starring in a movie. The dialogue itself was inane, but her delivery was horrible. She's certainly lovely, but wow. I considered setting myself on fire at different stages of the film. That's an extreme reaction. Uh, Still, Demented was an interesting precursor to films like Extremities and The Ladies Club. Death Weekend, on the other hand, was across-the-board stellar. From the acting to the script to the direction, I was engaged by the story and watching the great Brenda Vaccaro 
fights her way to safety. I'm a big fan of William Fruitt, who also directed Killer Party, which is a favourite. This one's a bit darker than what I'm used to seeing from him, but he was well up to the task. As a TV movie fan, I was also surprised to see three actors I know predominantly from television, Vaccaro, Don Stroud and Chuck Schumata, in a film that was originally rated X. Maybe the version I saw was cut, as Death Weekend seemed like a soft R at the best. It was gripping and suspenseful, but over-the-top violent and or sexual it was not. Also, I'm not positive it was rated X. Someone told me it was and I was too lazy to look it up. Random trivia. A few years ago, I wrote about TV actors posing for Playgirl in the 70s. At the time, if you were famous, you didn't have to go full Monty, but could request to show off your stuff if desired. Most of the actors went totally PG-13, but Stroud made the shortlist of those who went all the way, along with Christopher George, to name one more. You mean you could have seen their cocks, Amanda? As a character actor who predominantly played bad boys, it seemed totally appropriate. But it was also because of those roles that it took me a long time to really come to terms with Stroud's undeniable charisma. He was amazing in Death Weekend, and I think I'm in love. Wedding invitations to come. Thanks for this double feature. I had a blast, and I'm dying to hear your thoughts. Also, I thought it was so sweet that Tom referred to my podcast as a sister podcast. I just want to say how great it's been to not just discover your show, but to also get to know both of you and some of your amazing listeners. It's been a great experience all around. Also, hopefully, someone out in the UK will give me a couch to sleep on if Trump becomes prez. Haha, <laughs> just kidding, I think. Take care, Amanda. Hey guys, Myron here, sending a little feedback for Demented and Death Weekend, aka The House by the Lake. Demented starts off at a frenzy pace, uh, but really, really slows down. Really kind of turned me off to the movie is just how slow it drug. You know, I do care about the main character. Everybody else in the movie is shitheads, and they eventually deserve what they get. Um, third act, of course, was action-filled, extremely well done, but just that middle part, just almost turned off the movie, glad I didn't, but, um, you know, it, it takes a big hit for that middle, that middle part. Overall, not a bad movie, really enjoyed it. Death Weekend, also known as The House by the Lake, excellent movie. We have the, uh, bad guy Don Stroud, Brenda Vaccaro, playing the heroine. As I was watching this, I really was thinking of the movie You're Next. You know, here we have two smart... Uh, very intelligent female heroines that kind of, you know, take care of business and, you know, really just, it, they're very strong uh, female leads. And it, uh, you know, given it was 1976, it was interesting, um, you know, how they portrayed uh, Brenda Vaccaro's character. I could have done without the rapey stuff. I think they could have got to the same place without it. You know, I mean, at that time, that's kind of, you know, a few films were used in that age for, uh, you know, Catalyst. You know, what was it, uh, Wes Craven's the, uh, the Last House of the Left? You know, that was kind of the catalyst there. But, you know, again, overall good movie, very well acted. Brenda Vaccaro is great. Don Stroud plays the, you know, ever-present bad guy in everything he does. Well, most everything. Um, but I really enjoyed the second one a lot more. It had a lot more even pacing. But even then, I think it might have been 10, maybe 12 minutes too long. You know, they could have compressed some of the, the house scenes where they're, you know, tearing up the house and things like that. But, uh, you know, great movies, certainly both of them. Uh, I think I like Death Weekend a lot more than Demented, but two very good picks. It's certainly obvious, I think, to me, probably the, the rapey scenes, uh, probably why they made it on, you know, the list. Overall, you know, Death Weekend is a highly recommend. Demented is a good movie. You just have to kind of sit through the middle portions. But anyways, again, 
thank you and this is Myron signing off There's a bit of a feedback montage, something we're trying out there, and I think it it sounds quite good, you know, putting them all together like that. And um, we've got a new voice in the mix as well, our friend John Cottage, but he seems to be the odd one out. He really didn't like either of them. I thought at least he might like Death Weekend. Yeah, surprising. But, you know, there you go. He has very, very different tastes, I think, to some degree. And I've seen some of the films that he's rated on Letterboxd and... We don't always see the eye to eye on things, but that's one of the great things about opinions. Yeah, but it's good to hear your voice, John. And also, uh, fairly new feedback, Andrew Roberts, he sent us a good bit of feedback there. Very intelligent guy, and like mm. you know, like we said last time, knows his stuff. And he said um, that as a result of the show, it's given him a bit of a kickstart on a project that he's going to do. Not a podcast, but something different, so... Keep us posted on that, Andrew, and uh, you know we'll we'll give it a bit of a shout out if it comes to fruition. Uh, and thank you to our emailers as well, Kristen, who um, mentioned that Don Stroud was in an episode of the A Team. You know, I uh, he's got he's one of those guys, isn't he? He's, he probably played a villain in every eighties TV show, I would imagine. You can imagine it, yeah. He must have been. He's that stock villain type, isn't he? But I thought very charismatic, really. Definitely, definitely. So thank you, Kristen and Amanda. Shows a bit of a naughty side this week, don't you think? <laughs> well, she always there's always a little bit of it going on there, Tom. She's into the she's into the TV boys, she and like um, she she makes no, you know, she doesn't attempt to hide that at all. And she seems to have a thing for David Warbeck and now Don Stroud. So, you know, through discovering these movies and watching them, she seems to have seen a lot of these movies. She always seems to have a VHS copy of something, you know, hmm. something that we've never heard of before and she's seen at some point. So she's adding to her roster of hot guys uh, right. off, of t- off of the TV. Yes, with a stack of Playgirl magazines. Um, <laughs> and always good to hear from Myron as well. We uh, Sticky pages. Yeah, <laughs> we've um, sent a bit of feedback over to Myron for his upcoming Texas Chainsaw podcast, so... Check them out and, uh, you know, hear what we've got to say about that. But we already said it on our own, so you don't have to. Yeah. Uh, uh, Not just Myron, Chris Waters, but don't forget Chris. (laughs) I think he's the one who edits all the bloody shows. So, yeah, we sent some feedback for uh, the Ancient Slumber Boys, Chris Ward and Myron Schmidt. And uh, they're covering, yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre films, the whole series, actually, including the remake. So do check that out when it comes out, because I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun. And you'll hear our voices on there being, being silly and wacky and all the rest of it. And then we heard from our old friends, Chris Brown and Jim Moon. I kind of like to think of them as the elder statesmen of the Strange and Deadly show now. Mm. You know, they've been contributing so long and, and so often um, that it, it's all, you know, two very interesting guys who always put a different slant on things in their feedback, you know, and, uh, you know, two very successful podcasters as well. Yeah, they're two old war horses as the horror podcasting community. Definitely, definitely. And check out uh, Jim Moon's latest series in Hypnagoria where he talks about mummy movies and like uh, it's a multi-part epic. It's it's really brilliant. So thanks again, Jim. And before we finish off the feedback section of the show, uh, we had a very, very, very special gift from a friend of ours, really, a friend of the show, loyal listener, somebody who really, really enjoys what we do, uh, Becky Willis. 
who is Soul Baby One on Twitter, I believe. And Tom, she sent us a special gift, didn't she? She did, yes. Um, I'm quite blown away by it, to be honest. Very, mm. very kind. Absolutely. That's right. Well, she spent a considerable amount of time. It must have been months and months of hard work. Uh, creating a painting for us a painting that she named strange and deadly and i have to say i have to say that it must be it's the only piece of custom artwork i've ever received really something that was made for me and uh it's quite a remarkable piece really it's quite dark and disturbing in its own way it's difficult to how, how would you describe the piece i mean we've got it there on twitter I, you can check my twitter out and my instagram instagram uh, the chris clayton you can see it on there i've taken some pictures of it not great quality because it's a it's an ipad uh ipad pictures and they're, they're not great but how would you describe the painting well if anyone's seen our podcast artwork by the great dark ink one where we've got that skull kind of front and center it's like the strange and deadly skull the early years you know <laughs> before he got buried in that hole that he's in on the on the on the front of our artwork it's um it's it's a it's a skull with all this sort of i don't know what to call it all these adornments around it that kind of thing just a a, a really beautiful thing to look at but but very dark as well really nice yeah yeah and it really suits me i think uh and yourself, we I think we like that sort of artwork anyway, and it fits in with mm. the imagery of the show, and and yeah, really, really kind. I mean, she is an artist anyway, and she's she yeah. also uh, is a life model artist as well. She teaches. She's looking at a lot of appendages, Tom, basically, mm. and uh, and yeah, really, really just remarkable work that she's put into it. And she sends off a you know glossy prints for for you and I and. Uh, yeah, yeah, thank you so much, Becky. It's really incredibly kind of you to do that, and I feel like we owe you something. But uh, she said to me, she said to me uh, you know, privately that really it's the show that kind of she considers that to be payment, and so the fact that she gets that much out of it is uh, is lovely. Thank you very much, and and I, it shall adorn my wall, uh, and I shall display it proudly. Absolutely. I'm uh, very touched, quite blown away by your generosity and your kindness. And it's, it's not going to be a bit of blue tack on this one. It's going to be framed, yep. get pride of place. It's, it's going to get the full way. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Becky. All right. So thank you very much to everybody who sent in the feedback. And of course, we appeal to any of you, really. It doesn't matter if you're... It, look, we're open to everybody. So if you'd like to send us some feedback, you can certainly do so. You can email us at feedback at strangeanddeadly.com. That's feedback at strangeanddeadly.com. We've said it in the past. We haven't said it for a while, really. It doesn't just have to be about the films that we're covering. You can send us anything, really. Ask us questions about our taste in horror, and if, even if it's not related to the Section 3 films that we're covering. Or it can be about these films. You know, whatever you want. Send the feedback over to us. We'd love to receive it you can find us of course on twitter where can they find you tom uh grindhouse tom you can find the strange and deadly twitter of course it's twitter.com uh, forward slash uh, strange nobody says that anymore do they? they just say at at strange deadly no and in there it's at strange deadly i'm on twitter uh changed now because i've jettisoned the old gore boy name it's gone mm. uh still gore boy in spirit to some degree but the name is gone so i'm now on twitter at the chris clayton so it's at the chris clayton even if you type in the gore boy it will still redirect to that anyway you can find me on instagram at the same thing uh, the Chris Clayton and on Letterboxd again the same thing really enjoying Letterboxd I don't know if you've ever been on there Tom but it's a 
a sort of social network that's more just about watching films, really, and just saying, I've watched this film, and you can write a little review about it and rate it. And mm. it's uh, it's nice. I'm not on it, but I downloaded it onto my phone before, so I'm still having a look. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. You never know. You might get Tom Elliott on there. Uh, of course, we always appreciate iTunes reviews and ratings. Uh, look, the more that you, you rate us, the more people who rate us, the more people who leave us little reviews... Uh, the the more notice our show gets and the sort of higher up the rankings we get I don't think we're ever going to make number one but you never know, we might get a little bit more popularity and more people might discover us it just takes a couple of minutes if you feel that we're deserving of a 5 star rating go ahead and rate us maybe leave us a little review but you don't have to do that you can just rate us and it helps it helps a lot so Tom, on the next show in a fortnight, what films are we going to cover and what's the theme? Well, this is one of those times when we're going to carry our theme over into another double bill. These two, again, two films I haven't seen, so I can't really comment on their content. Hopefully they fit together well, but we'll see. They're called Scream for Vengeance and Wrong Way, and from the looks of it, they're two revenge films as well. I'm not sure whether there's that rape element there or not. Uh, It's been a while since we put them together, but we'll find out. Yeah, not seen either of these. So, very, very interested. It's always fun when we watch things we've not seen before. Uh, sometimes we discover a gem. Sometimes we discover Demented. <laughs> so, you never know what it's going to be. But uh, we hope you'll join us then. So, until the next episode, I've been Chris Clayton. And I'm Tom Elliott. And we will see you on the next one. Bye for now. Bye. been listening to the strange and deadly show brought to you by gentlemen's grindhouse records with me chris clayton and tom elliott thank you to danny davis for the music and to dark ink one for the artwork you can visit our website at gentlemen's grindhouserecords.com